What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the Fitness Stuff for Normal People podcast. I'm Mariana here, as always, with Tony. And it is no secret the fitness industry sucks, period. Whether it is the corrupt multi billion dollar supplement and weight loss industry or the endless supply of influencers promoting anything to drive paid views. The bottom line is, we're not trying to provide just another fitness podcast, but completely change the fitness industry for the better by providing you with the knowledge and tools to give you confidence and applying the best possible training and nutrition into your own lives. Today, we will be discussing nutrient absorption, meaning we're going to be talking about how different vitamins and minerals can help or even hurt other nutrients from being absorbed and used in the body. More specifically, the different types of micronutrients, the difference between fat-soluble and water-soluble vitamins, and which vitamins should be taken with food and which ones should be taken on an empty stomach, the difference between absorption from foods versus supplements, and tips on how to enhance vitamin and mineral absorption. Before we get into that, as always, if you haven't already, leave us a five-star review. And if you're listening on Spotify, you can also go ahead and give us a follow. We see that now. It is one of the best ways to support us so that we can reach even more people and continue doing what we love so much. And if you've already done that, thank you. And it just takes a few seconds. So just another route now. for just another <laughs> route for us to get a quick dopamine hit. More followers. Yes. More followers yeah. on a different freaking platform. And we love the questions you guys DM us and ask us after every single episode comes out because there's a lot to cover. But a lot of the time, the questions require a lot more detailed and thorough answer than we could just answer through social media or message because your health is not so simple. Make sure to join us over on our premium side. So just for five bucks a month, you get a bonus episode every single Friday where we do an Ask Me Anything style episode, responding to your actual questions, taking the time to break them down with research. Last week, we dissected training deloads and continuous glucose monitors. And just by being a Fitness Stuff premium member, you enter in our $300 Legion Supplement monthly giveaway, where at the end of every freaking month, we're giving away $300 of Legion supplements. And you get bonus entries if you ask the questions that we go through weekly. So make sure to do that. And then a quick shout out to, to our sponsor since day one, Legion Athletics. You know we love them. We're going to talk about them later in the episode, but you know you can use code FSPOD at checkout for 20% off your first order or double points every order after that. And that'll be in the show notes down below. Huge announcement for the final weeks of May. And if you guys have heard us talking about the strong inside, this is who it's from. And they got an insane freaking promotion. Yes. So for the month of May, so I guess it's almost over, right? Oh my god. Yeah, this is the last week of this. So fast. Um, you can still, you still have time to enter. One of you will receive a Peloton Tread Ultimate Package with all of the accessories. That is a Peloton treadmill, a two-month supply of protein bars, a two-month supply of protein powder, a blend jet, branded sweat towels, and protein recipe cards. So to enter, head on over to the link down in the show notes and enter the code FITSTUFF for five additional entries to increase your chances of winning. That's a $3,500 treadmill. I know. $3,500 awesome. freaking Peloton <laughs> treadmill. Blows my mind. So go blow it up if you haven't entered. I already had Karina <laughs> enter for me since I can't enter on the pod. Oh my goodness. That's awesome. That's I made an email for my dog to too. do that. Yeah, this should be pretty fun. Okay, I'm pumped about today because you actually brought this up to me. A f it was only a few weeks ago. And immediately when we were going back and forth brainstorming, I was like, yes. Yeah, well, I think we were. it was our supplements episode where we were talking yeah, about. It was remember, some it was... episode that we were talking about absorption. Yes. And then the mm -hmm. conversation about how you shouldn't be taking certain supplements with certain foods or certain this because it will really get in the way of how your body yeah. uses it. It's like, mm -hmm. holy crap, we could do an entire episode on that. Mm -hmm. which we could do yeah. today. And okay, I want to, this is, I think, a hotter topic because of our BFF carnivore MD. I think he's normalized this and overblown it in his statements 100%. Yeah. But I think this is something uh, most people don't think twice about. From the people you talk about, do they think about this, this topic uh, at all? Like my audience or like people in? I mean, really anybody. Audience, friends, it's, family. I mean, dietitians do definitely talk about it. It's not talked enough about on social media when you're selling, so many people are trying to sell supplements. That's where this conversation of nutrient absorption is even more important. I think mm. that's where this topic came up because we were talking about how, we were talking about powders, like greens powder, powdered form of yes. supplements and how 
you are not as effectively even absorbing those nutrients in powder form. I think we were talking about athletic greens and then I was I think like, it was. Oh, this is, this is it. So I'm excited. Okay. Now, before we jump in class in session, I've got my notepad out. Mm-hmm. Teacher Mariana, she's going to be walking us through most of this because I actually learned a lot, even just putting together some research for this and reading through her notes. But before we get into it, because there's a lot of different pieces of this, this is a very complex topic that we're going to mm-hmm. talk about. We got to start with the building blocks of understanding the words that we're actually going to be using, yeah. right? So we're talking yeah. about mostly little M's today, right? Not big M's, macronutrients, <laughs> little M's, micronutrients. Micro. Okay. Yeah, and don't w- get as much attention. What is mm-hmm. it? I know. Which don't, don't get as much attention. Yeah. It's, let's make that the year, the, the year of the micros. <laughs> let's finish out 2023 with micros. Who cares if it fits your macros? What about the micros, bro? <laughs> so can you explain to us briefly what yes. that term means? Yes. Micronutrients. So- Micronutrients, micro meaning they're needed in small amounts, macro meaning large amounts. So they're vital for growth, immune function, brain development, and so many, every other function you could probably think of in your body. So you can break them down into vitamins, which are organic compounds made by plants and animals and minerals, which are inorganic. They exist in soil or water. And Adequate intake of all micronutrients is necessary for optimal optimal health, and each vitamin and mineral has a specific role in your body. So that is something I think it's very underestimated, the essential function that each individual one plays. It's definitely talked about a lot more, but humans must obtain micronutrients from food since your body cannot produce vitamins and minerals. This is, they are essential, meaning you require them in your diet. That is, that should not be underestimated ever. And you'll kind of understand that as we go on, as I talk a little bit more about, we'll dive a little bit deeper into these roles that they play, but a vitamin is, it's short for vital amine. That is what a vitamin is. It's a vital amine and they have a a known deficiency. They have known deficiency symptoms and known toxicity symptoms in order to be classified as a vitamin. So I did not know that. Yeah. I don't want to sound like an idiot. What did you say? Vita? Vital amine. Vital amines. That's a fun dinner fact. That's how they were first. Maybe it depends what dinner you're going to, but that's a fun fact. I think Casimir Funk, Funk, is that his name? D- made the discovery of these nutrients. Mr. Funk. Mr. And they, Funk. Thank he you turned them vital amines. Yeah. So thank you, Mr. Funk. All right. And we're going to focus on both vitamins and minerals, but I really want to explain fat soluble versus water soluble vitamins first this because this is really important to understand, especially when it comes to if you're supplementing with any of these, how you're absorbing these, the best ways to enhance absorption. A lot of these can come down to whether or not it's fat soluble versus a water soluble vitamin. So water soluble vitamins, as it sounds, they're, they dissolve in water. These vitamins are not easily stored in the body. They get flushed out with urine when consumed in excess and humans cannot store excess amounts for later use. So you excrete excess in your urine. And that's what makes it even more important to get it from, get them from food because they aren't stored for later use. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these water soluble vitamins play a large role in energy production. You think of your B vitamins, growth, development, immune function. You think about vitamin C and I'm not going to name every every single water-soluble vitamin, but there are nine of them. Ooh. And they're found in many foods, especially your B-complex vitamins and vitamin C, especially vegetables, fruits, dairy, meat, legumes, peas, eggs, fortified grains, and cereals. And deficiencies of water-soluble vitamins are very rare in North America. So I just want to make that known. It is definitely more rare to see a deficiency in the water-soluble vitamins than it is in the fat-soluble There, of course, are exceptions, definitely with certain dietary patterns. Like if you're a vegan, you're definitely at an increased risk for vitamin B12 deficiency, increased risk for, I mean, vitamin D is fat soluble, so I'm not even going to say that. But if you are have malabsorption syndromes, which are different disease states that can affect how you absorb certain vitamins, 
alcohol use disorder can also affect how you absorb these water-soluble vitamins, putting you at increased risk for deficiency. So again, there are exceptions, but it's definitely a lot more rare to see these deficiencies, one of which I think is hilarious. Vitamin C is probably one of the most rare that you would see. It's, it's everywhere. Really <laughs> rare to see that, but people still... Isn't vitamin Take C, didn't doses. they start, I mean, that's essentially, it's in like every box of cereal. It's almost added to every food. One because it's a Yeah, because vitamin C is a preserve. Yeah. So it allows your food to stay not that, rancid. And then wasn't it also started to, it was when scurvy was a big thing, like hundreds of years ago. This yes. might be a folktale, but like when scurvy was a thing, it's like just because of vitamin C deficiencies. So it's like, oh, let's just put this literally everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's not a folk folktale. That's how it was dis discovered. That's how this vitamin that's so C cool. deficiency was discovered. And then with um, the B, because isn't it it's the eight B vitamins and the C, that's mm -hmm. the nine that kind of puts together is I think people notice this whenever you take a supplement. I noticed this when I was early on taking like different multivitamins years ago or energy drinks, things like that, that have a lot of B vitamins that like hyper dose. Mm -hmm. And this is yeah. one of the hilarious arguments against what is the immune supplement people take the emergency emergency packets with like 20,000 times your RDA of vitamin C it's like you realize that's why it turns your pee orange that's it's like it, your pee turns you pee it out neon green it's <laughs> the extra 20,000 percent or 19,900 percent they're not helping you yeah <laughs> in any so way. this is the classic case these water soluble vitamins is extra isn't better because you're just peeing it out it there is no point in taking more to cover any basis you can't store extra you can't. Sorry. So if you aren't deficient or don't have a disease or aren't following a certain diet that puts you at risk for these deficiencies, it's not typically required that to supplement with them. always cracks me up about the emergency supplements yeah. with yes. however much percent. It's insane. <laughs> okay. And then um, we talked about fat soluble during, I think it was, we first brought it up in the vitamin D episode. When that was a I big so, yeah. issue too. And I think most people don't understand fully what a fat-soluble vitamin is. Mm -hmm. So they do not dissolve in water and they are stored. So after consumption, excess is stored in the liver and fatty tissues for future use. Because they're stored in tissues, the fat-soluble vitamins are retained by the body for a longer time than water-soluble vitamins. But this also can increase your risk for toxicity which is having some sort of health effect due to excess consumption. So it is more likely to see toxicity from these if you're having a lot more mm -hmm. supplements and also having it in your diet. Again, it's still not, doesn't mean it's very common. I don't want it, that to scare anyone, but you are at, it's more likely with these fat soluble vitamins because they are stored. And this for supplements, because they are fat soluble, they are best absorbed when consumed with a fat source. So keep that in mind. We will talk about that later. These are vitamins A, D, E, and K, and they play a huge role in many physiological processes, just like all vitamins do, immune regulation, vision, bone, bone health, mental health. I could go on yeah. and these fat soluble ones will definitely be diving deeper into because you do see people, a lot of people supplement with vitamin D, vitamin K. You want to optimize absorption of these fat soluble vitamins, especially. Yeah. That was a big one. I remember us talking about the vitamin D issue is so many people will just pop it on an empty stomach, not realizing it needs dietary fat to actually be used in the body. Absorbed. And yeah. that's where we, yeah. I forget the percentage of it, but how many Americans are deficient in vitamin D? And it's like, well, I'm taking 10,000, 20,000 IU a day, like almost super doses. And that's also mm -hmm. another, I think, reason why you'll see vitamins C and B in like the literal, I think it emerges, I don't know what it is, like tens and 20,000% of the RDA, where you don't see that in vitamin A, D, E, and K supplements. Like no, you never see no. that high of a percentage of your RDA in there too, which is kind of interesting because yeah. it actually, can, <laughs> you hold on to it. One of the reasons why they do with water-soluble vitamins give you such an extremely high dose is because to try to account for the fact that you lose a lot of these in your urine. It's tough to kind of measure whether how much for water soluble vitamins, at least because you aren't storing any of them, especially if you don't have a deficiency. If you're already getting this from food, taking a supplement, like you're going to be peeing every single last bit down the drain. So like if you have an orange, if you have any sort of, I don't know, if you have any sort of fruit, Every single day, which a lot, I would say so at least some people do, 
you really don't need to be supplementing with vitamin C. Oh, I also just wanted to briefly, I'm not going to go into much detail about the minerals. We're going to talk about them, but there isn't really a distinguishing, huge distinguishing factor between macro and trace minerals. That just has to do with the amount in which you need them. So trace minerals, very, very, very small amounts, macro minerals, a little bit more. Mm -hmm. They all play important roles in the body. Think like calcium, magnesium, potassium, iron, et cetera. And you can also look up all of the minerals if you want to in your free time. But there isn't this huge difference between the two other than how much the quantities okay. in which you need them. Certain trace minerals, some people will supplement with, and it's you need them in such small amounts that sometimes it doesn't really make sense to supplement with them because there could be one food that you could just add into your diet, like mm -hmm. a Brazil nut can give you all can help you meet your selenium needs and I think other things, but uh, I remember that it's like just when I one up, singular Brazil nut. <laughs> yeah. One freaking nut, which is good. Cause I don't think they taste very good, but I do remember that and looking at selenium cause it's important for testosterone production in males. Mm -hmm. You have one freaking nut and you're good. So you just go buy like yeah. one case of nuts. It's like, Oh, this will be good for the summer months. Yeah. <laughs> so that is just a really brief crash course on micronutrients. Luckily, you guys are not like me and didn't have to take a whole year of classes just dedicated to micronutrients. It is much more complex than I even just grazed the surface on. But this is, I'd say, the most important information for yeah, for what we need, for, for what we need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Now, also, we've touched on this absorption thing. Like, what does that even mean? So that's what this whole episode is about. First and foremost, a lot of people will mistake digestion with absorption or think that they are the same exact thing, like they go hand in hand. So let me just make that a little bit more clear. Digestion is the chemical breakdown, so chemical is important here, of ingested food into absorbable molecules. So you need to digest before you can absorb. Absorption is a separate process. It refers to the movement of nutrients, water, and electrolytes from the lumen of the small intestine into the cells, then into your blood so that you can actually utilize these in the body. So you need digestion in order to convert these into these nutrients into smaller molecules that you can actually absorb and use so that uh. they can elicit all of their effects that I was just talking about on the body. But digestion comes first, then absorption. Um, because a lot of people digestion. use those interchangeably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, which digestion is essential for proper absorption. If you do have any issues or any disease states that can affect chemical breakdown of food, then you also are at risk for some nutrient deficiencies if absorption is affected as a result, which typically it will be. However, they are separate processes. Okay. So if you're trying to improve something, you can't just say, I'm improving. It's one of the other very specific. Yes. Aims. Yeah. So when we were talking about digestive enzymes, those mm -hmm. play a role in the chemical breakdown of food. They don't play a direct role in the absorption of food, but they play an indirect role as we need these so that they can break down food into their smaller forms so we can absorb them. So that's the difference between direct and indirect relationships when you are talking about a lot of different processes in the body. So you'll see this a lot. There's a lot of systems that go hand in hand, but there's really big key differences when it comes to their impact. Yeah. And I think this is a big question that I want to ask a little bit next in the terms of a word that's thrown around a lot that I don't think a lot of people understand because I mm -hmm. once used this word a lot without understanding what it was. And that's <laughs> the word bioavailability because that's the yes. number one thing. If I see another clip on social media saying something is more bioavailable in the body from someone who I know does not know what that word means, what does that mean? Because bioavailability, yeah. it sounds, sounds fancy. It sounds real yes. fancy, but we talk about it in the magnesium episodes, the vitamin D episodes. What is, mm -hmm. when, when you say something is more bioavailable than something else, what does that word mean? What is that meaning? Yeah. So bioavailability is the degree and rate at which a compound is absorbed into a living system like humans or is made available at the site of biological activity. So that could be somewhere in your body. So it is... I would say, in short, it is how readily absorbed this nutrient is by the body. How easy it is it for us to utilize this 
nutrient in the body. Okay. So it comes down to the absorption piece is what the main focus is. So if something is absorbed better by the body, whether it's because it's digested better, whatever beforehand, if something is absorbed better, it is more bioavailable for the body to use. Yes. Yeah. Ah, So that's where it can get confusing because you could also look at it as bioavailability being the absorption rate of a of a vitamin because you're looking at it, its rate that's really what it's mm. explaining the rate at w- in which something is absorbed and be able to be utilized so if you're looking at it as a rate versus absorption is more so a process okay. and bioavailability has to do with the efficiency of that process and then that kind of goes to the big argument that i think i see a lot of people have and i'm actually not hundred percent confident on the final answer for this is the argument that whole foods are always going to be more bioavailable than supplement forms. Is that an always and a never kind of thing? Is it a little black and white gray area or Um, where does it sit there with foods versus supplements? I would say there's always more gray area than something being always never black and white whenever it comes Mm -hmm. to nutrition, because you have to consider the individual. So different vitamins and minerals have different absorption rates regardless of whether they come from a tablet, liquid, powder, or food. So there is differences between just vitamins and minerals in general and how effectively they're absorbed by the body. Then you look at the differences amongst these different forms of micronutrients, whether it's coming in supplement form versus food form. Vitamins and minerals found in food sources are typically easier to absorb than supplement form because we do not eat foods in isolation. So Mm. we are not eating foods like we think of a supplement. Supplements are typically, not talking about a a multivitamin here, but a single vitamin supplement, for example, say vitamin D, right? Mm -hmm. We typically don't just have only vitamin D coming from a food source. We have a variety of vitamins and minerals. And you are also combining these vitamins and minerals with other nutrients that can enhance absorption. You may be combining it with some things that can inhibit absorption, which we'll talk about later. But assuming that you are eating a varied diet, you're not just looking at one point in time in which you're having this vitamin or mineral. So it gives you a little bit more leniency throughout your day to hit these nutrition goals and be able to absorb them because you're going to be having other foods that can allow you to either absorb them better or if, say, you hindered absorption at one point, okay, here's another opportunity to increase how much I am getting. And that I think that's the most confusing point. But when you really think about how foods are not eaten in isolation. We're eating a variety of foods throughout our day, throughout our week versus taking one supplement at one time a day consistently in a similar routine. Okay. Also not being sure that the amount of a supplement is actually the amount stated on the label because supplements are not regulated. Mm -hmm. That is why healthcare professionals, physicians, dietitians will recommend the food source over the supplement because we can't guarantee that this supplement contains as much as you actually need. And we can't guarantee that you're going to absorb all of this supplement because they are not studied to be effective. We simply don't know. And that's the big Um, problem with greens powders in an essence too. It's not even just with other micros, but even macros that can help. Where that's what we talk. I mean, have we done an episode fully on greens powders? I think early on we did. Yes, we have. Yeah. But that's, you take away all those micros and mineral, like those vitamins and minerals and you isolate them into that one form and you say, oh, well, this is the same thing where like for your example of vitamin D, if you're getting Mm -hmm. it through salmon, you're getting not just vitamin D, but you're getting a ton of fatty acids that are going to really help the digestion, the absorption every piece of that you're getting so much and give much you the other health benefits actual of those protein, fatty acids yeah epa mm-hmm. dha the fatty acids the omega 3s all these pieces that go into it where greens powder you're just essentially taking that one vitamin or mineral mm-hmm. and doing that with a lot of them and just throwing them all together instead of taking a food in that complex 
piece or an apple, yes. right? It's like, oh, well, you could take a vitamin A supplement or you could eat an apple, which is going to come with the fiber, everything else mm -hmm. that's coming and comprised of that one fruit. And that's the big, because I just a big bust down of green powders on one of my socials. And that was the big thing. It's like, why can't I just take this if I'm not eating my fruits and vegetables? Yeah. It's like, that's why, because a fruit and a vegetable is not just the isolated micro. You're getting variety yeah. of different benefits and that, and, and it, it does come down to we, these supplements. They're not studied. Like we can't say for sure how effective our bodies are at actually absorbing them. What we can say is that a capsule form, so an encapsulated form of a supplement, it's typically like that it looks like, I don't think it's plastic, but um, looks like, yeah, I know what you mean. It looks like plastic almost and feels like a little bit like plastic versus a tablet, which if you put it in your mouth, it would dissolve or you could crush it up and it would be like a powder. Capsule is going to be better than a tablet because it is protecting what is on the inside from the stomach acid, whereas the stomach acid is going to degrade this tablet doesn't mm. have any protective coating on it. So I would recommend when it comes to a supplement, capsule over tablet. I would also recommend capsule over powder form. Powder form is definitely one of the most inefficient. I would say if you're getting a bunch of different vitamins and minerals, it's one of the more inefficient forms because a lot of these are coming from, which we already talked about, I'm not going to dive into it, but are coming from these blends. So you don't know how much of each you're getting. Again, does it cough, surpass cough, stomach acid? Powders. No. So that is interesting. Yeah. That, that I never thought about that point because I know that to be true, but why would greens powders come in a powder instead of a, a capsule that would actually protect it from stomach acid and get it to where it needs to be for optimal absorption? Big design flaw, right? Yeah. I have no idea. I really don't know. And you also think about like a lot of digestion happens in the stomach. So mm -hmm. versus absorption, you see most happen in the small intestine. So I know some people are probably thinking, well, food I eat goes into my stomach acid. Yeah. What I am talking about when I say protects from stomach acid, it's not like food goes into the stomach acid and it just comes out of the stomach and it's in whole because it's just invincible to stomach acid. That's not at all true. It is the food is available to be broken down by the stomach acid. Again, remember digestion absorption. Mm -hmm. You need to break down this food in the stomach that's an essential part of digestion so that it is in a smaller form that can be utilized in the small intestine to and be absorbed, right? Versus a greens powder, that process of breakdown, it's different. So the process of digestion of a greens powder, you're already surpassing the first step, which is mechanical digestion that happens in your mouth. So that is already altering how we are digesting this form of nutrients. You have the powder already broken down. How that meets the stomach acid and is broken down by the stomach acid, its usable form is significantly less than that of food. You don't have as much left over after you are already taken a broken down form of this nutrient. Essentially, you've already started I say in air quotes, digestion, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So, no, that makes yeah. a lot more sense because that's mm -hmm. another thing I think people don't think about when it comes to the supplementation of a lot of these. Yeah. And dang, the freaking yeah. greens, but another thing, I wish I would have mentioned, I didn't even mention that on the greens powders argument. Another yeah. Freaking, so, another red flag. It but, is just a little something to think about. So let's talk about that. I want to talk about the other things that go into how well a food or supplement is absorbed. Because there's a lot that goes into this. And from what we were downloading before the episode, it seems like a very complex problem Yes. in what we're talking yeah. about. And I know that's what we wanted to make a really important distinction on is the difference between complex and complicated. Where complicated yes. is difficult, but it's ultimately, like, it's ultimately knowable. It's predictable mm -hmm. in the mm -hmm. sense of like, you think of like a car engine. There's a lot of moving parts. It's very difficult to understand, but you could ultimately read a textbook to learn how to build one, take it apart and put it back together. That's very yes. complicated where something like this is very complex, like mm -hmm. something composed of different elements that interact with each other and have a very dynamic relationship. It's a lot about like the interactions and you yeah, can't yeah. describe like complexity from just one perspective, right? When looking at like mm -hmm. the world or your health, 
the weather. You can't just look at it from one perspective and there's so many things going into it. So talk to us about like what different things are interacting mm -hmm. and going yeah. on about like how well something's absorbed. Okay. So there are a variety of factors. I'm going to list the variety of factors first, if that's cool. And then we'll get into some more specific examples. It's more so cool. <laughs> there are inhibitors, which could be vitamins and minerals that could be bound to compounds found in plants and inhibit their absorption. There is your age and the life stage that you're in. So you have absorption rates changing as you age differs between childhood and adulthood. You can have stages of life such as pregnancy and going through postpartum lactation can affect how you absorb nutrients. Mm. Competing nutrients, so nutrients, some nutrients are better absorbed in or out of the presence of other nutrients. That one's interesting. Yes. Nutrient, actually having a nutrient deficiency your body adapts yeah. to many changes that go on when a deficiency is present. So if your body is starts to supplement or starts to include that whatever you're deficient in at a much higher quantity, then typically you'll be able to absorb more. So your rate of absorption will be increased if you do have a nutrient deficiency, that assuming that you don't have a disease that's actually mm. affecting that whole process. Different foods that are eaten together can also affect this. The dosage, actually, how much or how little you consume a nutrient can impact how much you absorb it. Stress, how you eat. So that goes into the digestion piece. Oh, so that's, a, that's yeah. what I really am curious about. That's what I'm really curious about. Yeah. And then certain medications and different disease states can also. And so we'll dive deeper into a little bit more specific, but I wanted to list that out to it, show you guys that this is complex. It's not a one size fits all. And one person may have to think about one of these things. Maybe you have to think a little bit less than the person next to you. Some person, somebody may be really worried about a few things on this list. It completely depends. So I don't want you to listen to this and just be fearful that you're not going to get the nutrients you need properly from food. This mm -hmm. is a complex puzzle. Everyone is different. Maybe this can help you understand how to optimize absorption a little bit. Maybe you learn something that you didn't know so that you can be more effective when you're taking a supplement or something. But I that was a lot that more than I had thought would go into it. It, it all makes yeah. sense when you lay it out, but it is a lot more than I had. I knew it was complex, but maybe not that complex. So I'm excited to mm -hmm. dive into these. Yeah. Yeah. So what I want I'm excited to start with this, but this inhibitors piece. Yes. So certain vitamins or minerals that are bound to compounds found in plant foods. And these compounds in plant foods, that can inhibit absorption. So think of things like phytates or phytic acid, lectins, tannins, etc. You might have heard of this from... I was like, where uh, is this ringing a name? bell from? Carnivore... MD, there is a lot of fear mongering with this fact here. I want to do the exact opposite of that fear mongering. Foods high in phytic acid, like you think of oats or legumes, sometimes that can inhibit how you absorb certain nutrients, but it doesn't mean that it completely blocks it. And it doesn't mean that there is a way like it's actually very simple to address this potential issue. So I'm not sure okay. if you've heard about. Uh, well, that's that what I was going to ask you because that is Carnivore MD's main selling point. If you've ever seen a video, it's usually of him shirtless in the grocery store taking spinach or kale or other leafy greens is what I see. Literally mm -hmm. taking them out of other people's hands and saying, "Can you, are you really about to put this in your body? And the people are confused because it's like spinach. Yeah. Like what are, you, what yeah. are you talking about? And then he goes on his whole rant about how oxalates, lectins, they, that's what I was going to ask you about. They block the absorption of iron and other nutrients, mm. having a strong like affinity to bind to them, like sodium, yeah. potassium, calcium, making them difficult or even impossible is what he says for the body to absorb and utilize. Yeah. And I know this not to be true, but I wanted to ex like I hear you explain exactly why, because mm -hmm. how many people, you just had the personal story, right? Of someone who's like, oh, well, I can't eat spinach anymore. Yeah. Because it's not going to be, it's hurting me and not helping me. Yeah. And I'm like, is this a bigger problem than it needs to be? This carnivore MD is uh, making it seem like a massive issue. 
Absolutely. vegetables are the enemy. So <laughs> please explain yeah. this to me. So I'm, you really see this argument when it comes to absorption, the most with phytic acid. Oxalates, you'll see a big argument, which are found in spinach with thyroid and how it can increase your risk for developing a goiter, which is like that big thick mass on your neck, or it can lead to like issues with your thyroid hormone, what have you. So you don't really hear the oxalates conversation mm. with absorption, but you really, really hear it in the context of affecting your thyroid, putting you at increased risk of kidney stones. So that's kind of a different conversation. It's still completely, absolutely a terrible fear-mongering tactic that a lot of these people use. But to stay on topic here, I wanted to talk about phytic acid. So that is, or phytate, and it's found in foods like whole grains, cereals, soy, nuts, legumes. Think of oats. So this is where you will see some people saying oats are really bad. And it's really important to know with phytic acid that first, cooking. So if you're cooking your oatmeal, if you're cooking your beans, Beans typically are not eaten raw. So you might be thinking about beans out of a can. Mm -hmm. Those are cooked beans. A raw bean is hard. So you can't really bite into it. So those are already cooked. That phytic acid, if you just rinse off your beans, if you wash them thoroughly, you're not going to be at risk for that. So make sure you wash your beans. Cooking your oats is going to strip the oats of that phytic acid. Soaking your oats can be an extra layer to do before you cook them. So whether you're soaking them overnight in water and then you cook them or you're just having overnight oats, that's a great way to reduce the phytic acid. With whole grains and cereals, there is a lot like the amount of phytic acid, especially with these more processed, if you're thinking like a bread or a cereal, the phytic acid content is negligible. But where phytic acid is highest is in the raw form. So if you're eating raw oatmeal, completely plain, if you're eating a raw bean, like fresh, like a hard bean, like yes, the phytic acid content is going to be high and it's going to really hinder nutrient absorption. But if you're eating these, how they are typically consumed, correct me if I'm absolutely crazy, yeah. but that's typically how they're consumed, you're going to be just fine. Phytic acid can hinder iron absorption. That's where you see it the most, yeah. the most caution raise, especially for those who are anemic. So if you are anemic, if you know that iron is something you have to supplement with, we're going to talk about iron a lot more, but that is, I would go the extra level this is what I would recommend. Go to extra level to make sure you know you're soaking your oats before. Do make the extra precautions. Make sure you're really rinsing your beans, and maybe don't take your iron supplement with these foods. But if you are, <laughs> if you're you not anemic, worried about my cereal. You have me worried about yeah. my cocoa puffs because I eat those specifically for the nutrients. Is what I eat the yeah. cocoa puffs. Yeah, for. exactly. Right. So like. <laughs> That, and it's just the craziest thing because who's eating raw bean? Like, and that's where you see these studies with the phytic acid content, like yeah. through the roof. And it's no, like that's where it would bean, be an like issue. You get sick. Like you, you really can't digest those because they're rock solid. Like, because <laughs> so, that was the big thing. It's like in real life scenarios, which is most of this guy's argument is in non real life scenarios, right? Like yeah. <laughs> with any of his arguments, the artificial sweetness is. That's what it sounds like yeah. with the oats, with everything else. It's like if you're eating them, how you're supposed to eat them, not even anything special. Mm -hmm. This is not yeah. anything that you would really want to raise concern about whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So okay. that's some examples of inhibitors. And going into age and life cycle, that's not really something that needs further explanation. However, as you age, so definitely when you're getting older, you like this elderly people are at risk of more deficiencies because they do not absorb foods as well. So their absorption yeah. rates decrease. Well, that's a big one. I don't think most people understand about protein and how it's yes. used in the body. Cause I know I just made like a protein calculator on my own too. I know the strong inside does, but I made one that takes age into account too. Cause mm -hmm. people don't realize that you need more dietary protein to raise, like to get equal elevation of a muscle protein synthesis. Mm -hmm. As you get yeah. older, you need more and more protein to elicit that same response. And I don't think most people take that into account where as you age, and that's a big thing that usually leads to like muscle loss mm -hmm. as you get older. And there's a lot that goes into it, but that's a big one is you could be eating a hundred grams of protein every day of your life. 
but it's not going to be used the same in your body as you get older. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why the requirements will be higher. So if you look at pregnancy with micronutrients, certain micronutrients, the requirements are much higher when you are pregnant. And if you are breastfeeding, we I mean, took a whole class on developmental nutrition and nutrition throughout the life cycle of a baby. It's also why your needs are greater. So that is something I think like people always ask me like, what, well, what about my prenatals? Like whenever I'm kind of talking yeah. about supplements in the context that is supplements are not the best. I'm not the biggest fan of the supplement industry. That is not me saying that pregnant people shouldn't take prenatal vitamins. It is yeah. very hard to meet those recommendations through diet alone. That is where supplements serve their purpose. They are a supplement. So if you can't meet something through diet alone, if you have greater needs due to, if you're pregnant, if you have a disease that makes it harder to get it from food, yes, that's where they serve their purpose. So I just wanted to make sure I outline that because people really... That was, that's a common question I get. What about my prenatals? Take your prenatals. Like that is definitely something that please, you should be doing. Please do that. Um, now talk to me about this because this is the one that I think actually stirred the conversation about this entire episode is competing nutrients and the thought of yeah. taking different nutrients, either helping or hurting absorption of other nutrients if taken together. So that was really interesting to me. Yeah. So this piece that some nutrients are better absorbed in the presence of certain nutrients and in the absence of some. So I think that the best example for this is iron. So going back to iron, foods you eat influence not only how much iron you consume, but also, so not like the type of iron, making sure you're getting enough, but also how well it's absorbed into your body. So an example being vitamin C. So thinking about foods that nutrients that aid in iron absorption, yeah. vitamin C aids in iron absorption. It captures non-heme iron, which is a plant source, and stores it into a form that your body can more easily absorb. It aids in that process. It enhances the bioavailability, the rate at which you do that. So that is one, vitamin C and iron foods with vitamin A, beta carotene, also help with iron absorption. They release iron that the body stores. It helps release it. Ooh. So therefore, adequate vitamin A plays an important role in preventing iron deficiency anemia, which a lot of people Eat don't think about. <laughs> Meat, fish, and poultry, which do provide you with a great source of heme iron, can mm -hmm. also stimulate the absorption of the non-heme form, which is that plant form. So eating a meal that combines heme iron with non-heme iron. Ooh like the meat, the fish, poultry can help increase the amount of non-heme iron that is absorbed by the body. So that is where you get the case of the, there are other micronutrients that can aid in, in and enhance the absorption of maybe you're supplementing with iron. Okay. You're taking your iron supplement, have it with some berries in the morning. That's going to enhance the absorption of it. I was going to say too, even in the case of back to carnivore, man, if you're eating spinach, spinach has a good amount of iron in it too. So even if certain, was it oct oxalates? Of non-heme iron. So yeah. So spinach has non-heme iron. So it'd be yeah, great take... to pair your spinach with some meat and some fish. Yeah. So because that was what I was, if something can suppress how much is absorbed, it's like, that doesn't just, it's not a cancellation thing. It's not an end all be all. It's not, where it's yeah, like if it's you not... take it, you can take it with other things like meat to actually help the absorption of it. Which yeah, is, always, so, is, is the forgotten argument on his side for, for a while. Yeah, why would you know? include that? Yeah. When I was talking about phytic acid, and include this because I wanted to explain how nutrients can help with the absorption rates, but say you do have some phytic acid in your foods or you're eating a food that may typically have it, this can be counteracted by consuming foods that enhance non-heme iron absorption, such as foods rich in vitamin C, such as meats. So it there you go. That There you go. Your problem is solved if you're so worried about the phytic acid affecting your iron absorption. Make sure that you're having this with some vitamin C and a meat source. <laughs> meat source especially because then you're also getting yeah. iron as well. But I think that that's something that people don't really talk about. And then continuing this with the iron example of food nutrients that can hurt the absorption yeah. of certain nutrients. So there's phytic acid that has that potential. We already went through it. Calcium-rich foods may have a small effect on iron absorption. It's more no noteworthy 
if you are anemic, if you're not, this is really not something that you would really have to worry about because it would mm-hmm. not have much of an effect on you. But a 2021 research review found that calcium had a negative effect on the short-term absorption of iron, but the effect was low. So that's where I say if you mm-hmm. are anemic or really want to zero in on this, if you're really struggle- struggling to get your iron your ferritin, which is your iron stores, levels up that this may be worth looking into. And in general, if you are anemic, it's typically recommended for calcium and iron supplements to be taken at different times of the day if possible. Okay. So these nutrients compete. Is that, yes. and how does that necessarily work? Well, so thinking, it's not this... compete. It's not really, comp- uh, it, it's, they affect the efficiency so they negatively impact the efficiency at which we absorb something, the rate at which we absorb. A so is that something that's going on in the small intestine is when these two things are together, they kind of like fight for a spot or how does that work? So you're talking, so there's different types of inhibitors. Inhibitors in general are any substance that reduce the bioavailability of a nutrient. That's how they get their name, anti-nutrients, which maybe you have heard on social media. They're used in a really negative context. They shouldn't be. And they can do this in a few ways. So the first way that an inhibitor can reduce nutrient bioavailability is by binding the nutrient in a form that is not recognized by the uptake systems on the surface Mm. of intestinal cells. So that happens at the active site. So in order to initiate this process in order for it to be recognized, hey, this is iron and we need to use this. We need to absorb it. This is what this is. You have signals that your body has signals that allows you to do so. This is the most basic, basic explanation. Mm -hmm. But for that to be a little bit more understood, you have to have some sort of signal that your body can recognize to know this is iron and we are going to absorb it. We are going to bring it into these cells so that we can actually use it a type of inhibitor could bind to that iron and make it unrecognizable, affect those signals to know, hey, this is iron, we're going to use it, absorb it at the most basic explanation. Another way is making the nutrient insoluble and thus unavailable for absorption. And a third way is competing for the same uptake system so that- Act, there's an active site that they bind to. So if this nutrient can't bind to that active site, it can't ex- exert its action, essentially. So that would be that competitive inhibition. So phytic acid is highly abundant in certain plant foods and strongly oh. binds minerals such as calcium, iron, and zinc, lowering their availability availability for absorption. So that's what it would do. It would bind to it. That's cool. Um, because yeah. I'm thinking the so the first way is kind of like it's almost like the the your body has like a little wanted sign. It's like I'm looking for this guy, and then the nutrients yeah. will like do draw face paint. It's like oh, who's this guy? Does it like it's not <laughs> recognized? And I'm thinking is yeah. it the example of the competing nutrients kind of like what caphene does to the adenosine receptor? Mm-hmm. Where it essentially yeah, so that's a competitive inhibitor. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's what's happening with caffeine in your brain is it's blocking and competing mm-hmm. for that adenosine receptor. Okay, that's really cool. Okay, so there's a few different ways that it can happen. I like that yeah, and an, an example of competition for the same uptake system is the interaction between non-heme iron and calcium. So oh. they both bind. So calcium, you have to think of it. It's a there's anions and cations. I'm not really going to talk about that too much, but they cat, bind to like a trans. Cat? Yeah, cation anion. Um, they they bind to transporters on the surface of intestinal absorptive cells. Non-heme iron enters the cell in this manner. By doing that, calcium basically stays in the doorway. So like in order for non-heme iron to enter, it has to have direct flow through this doorway. Calcium stays there. It doesn't move through this door, preventing further entry of iron into um, It's like when you go to a frat party and there's that frat dude at the front door. He's like, who you know here? Yeah. So that's- that's we're trying to give these analogies it's really this is complex this aspect of absorption there are so many other yeah factors that play a role in effective absorption that we're not discussing um but that's where a lot of these inhibitors come in at at the site of where this process begins 
um, in these intestinal cells. So, okay. Yeah. But this can also be, you can also have, that's where you have the other nutrients that really make absorption easier, enhance it. So they kind of do the opposite. So they'll come to this active site and they will enhance the rate at which we absorb it. So happens on both ends. I like the word anti-nutrient. I think, I don't know, I'm thinking just anti-hero from Taylor Swift. I know, but people use it and like- It does it sound, it can afraid. sound definitely bad. It's like, oh, is this an anti-nutrient? We got to watch that. Okay, not that much. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. So that's iron. I think iron is a really good example because there's so many things that can influence in both directions, positive and neg negative, how, how iron is absorbed. And I also, did I touch on- Oh, okay. Real quickly, another <laughs> another inhibitor of iron absorption is polyphenols. So they're found in various amounts of plant foods and beverages. Most noteworthy here is tea and coffee. So coffee and tea have a high content of polyphenols, and they have been shown to inhibit absorption of non-heme -heme iron. So really be sure to leave a couple hours before um, between your iron-rich meal or iron supplement um, when you're having tea and coffee, definitely do not pair that with, with your coffee in the morning. So oh, that was another do. one in the ask me anything that we got a couple of weeks ago. Isn't it the yeah. green tea with absorption of different minerals is like, if you're drinking green tea and we broke it down even further over there in the premium side, but that's a big one that most people don't think about is their morning coffee, their morning tea yeah. with a meal that's rich in vitamins and things like that. That was, that was yep. what interesting kind of sparked a lot of this. Okay. Yeah. So that's examples of how there can be competing nutrients and inhibitors. <sighs> so then looking at this piece of, I think is kind of important, but nutrient deficiencies, we always talk about how important it is to go get your, your blood test. But if you are deficient, some people will say, oh, I started supplementing with this and I had this magical, I had this crazy result. And you will see greater effects if you are deficient from taking a supplement yeah. because you were deficient in something that plays this essential role in the body. Now you no longer are. And when you're deficient in something, you have enhanced absorption rates because your body needs it more, requires it more. Mm -hmm. So that is just something I felt the need to throw out. It can be really, really helpful to get a blood test. Um, to well, that was a big one that we had talked about with vitamin D and magnesium, right? Is that this mechanism that you're talking about? where being deficient in magnesium can really hurt the absorption and use of vitamin D. Like, well, so is yeah, that the that same mechanism the other, there? That, well, that's like a whole other point with nutrient deficiency. So it's like the second thing. So something to look out for is if you are deficient, supplementing back in is going to enhance absorption because you have really low levels. Then if you, second point that Tony's just brought up is if you do have one nutrient deficiency, like say magnesium, mm. it can hinder how effectively you absorb another nutrient because certain nutrients go kind of hand in hand. An example being magnesium and vitamin D, if you want to explain that. Yeah. Well, no, I was like magnesium when we were learning more about that. Gosh, we need a freaking magnesium episode. Mm -hmm. But it's, it plays a big role. If you're deficient, it really plays a big role in the absorption of and use of vitamin D, calcium, vitamin K, a lot of the B vitamins for energy, potassium, zinc, even different hormones in your body. Mm -hmm. All because just that one, if you're missing that one piece, and that's where that complex piece comes into it, doesn't it? Yeah. Where it's like, you yeah. could be low in vitamin D, you could be, but it's, it's all about the interactions, which we, we broke this down a little bit, but a more in depth on the vitamin D piece is you could essentially, if you have low vitamin D, you could take as much vitamin D supplementally as you want, and you are not going to increase your blood levels, usable vitamin D in your body. If you are also deficient in magnesium which is kind of actually insane, right? Because the active form in the body depends on magnesium to convert the non-active vitamin D to active vitamin D in the body, where yes. essentially if we want to geek out, and this is what I was actually putting together for this episode. So I'm like, okay, let me dive deep. So I actually learned this in putting it together, but vitamin D essentially is initially uh, synthesized through the skin with sun exposure or through your diet supplements, whatever it is, that's how it gets in your body. Then it undergoes several steps of metabolism before becoming its biologically active form that your body actually uses for everything that we've covered in that episode. Now, the final step 
occurs in the kidneys. And that's where this one enzyme, which I'm going to butcher and you're going to fix that one alpha hydroxylase. <laughs> Is that right or no? Yeah, no, that's right. Freak that's yeah. good. Okay. So that enzyme converts inactive vitamin D into the active form. Now, magnesium plays a critical role in that final conversion of vitamin D, right? The activity in that enzyme that we talked about, 1-alpha-hydroxylase. It's a cofactor. Yeah, it's a cofactor. It's magnesium dependent, meaning it requires an adequate supply of magnesium to function, right? So magnesium essentially is facilitating the conversion of that final inactive form of vitamin D into usable in your body. So that's something that really was interesting to me is you can look at it in its isolated form, like supplementing with vitamin D, whatever it is, but there's so many other pieces that go into the absorption part, even if yeah. you're nailing everything else. And that's magnesium is just a huge part of it. And that, mm -hmm. that dangerous feedback loop too of lower vitamin D usually sees lower vitamin D, making it harder to raise your magnesium, making it harder to raise your vitamin D. It just kind of goes in that mm -hmm. negative feedback loop, which is yeah. nuts. And then the, uh, I would say one other piece that I would really requires the most detail would that could affect, you know, absorption would be medications. So again, mm -hmm. I mentioned there's also stress, there's also how you eat dosage, but those don't have as large of an effect on absorption as I would say these, what we've already explained and also certain medications. Um, and I don't, there's a lot more room for enhancing this, improving this, making so you aren't impacting your absorption when it comes to your medications or accounting for this. So different medications you take or even med medical procedures you can have can impact how well you absorb nutrients. And Tony and I mentioned that we're not, this is, we're not yeah. doctors. Pharmacology is not our wheelhouse. So we're not going to specifically go into every single one, but make sure that when you are prescribed something, that is something you ask about. Hey, I'm sure, I mean, side effects are super long for every medication, but look into these side effects and see which vitamins and minerals it affects the absorption of so that you can account for that by either taking a supplement, making sure you're having more in your food, but making sure if you are supplementing that that won't interact with the medication. So again, that's why it's something to discuss with your doctor. That's why people always say to discuss any supplement with your doctor, the biggest reason for that is medications can really impact this piece. So, and it works the other way around too, right? Where certain nutrients could really hinder the how medication. Your medication works. Yes. Yeah. So, That's so scary because when I think when the doctor asks me like, oh, are you taking any supplements? I'm like, am I going to list out like, oh, I'm taking this multivitamin? Am I going to list out every vitamin and mineral I'm taking? I usually just say, I'm, you know, I take a creatine and a protein, but I don't list my vitamin D, mm -hmm. my magnesium anything else I'm taking until recently, I'm like, okay, that's really important. Like all mm -hmm. these things could really roll into your medication. Like the biggest one you were telling me about was ADHD medication, like Adderall, vitamins, yeah. things like that. And vitamin C, which are, yes, do not play well together. Yeah. And I feel like I was lucky enough. I learned this from my psychiatrist, which is awesome. I hope everyone who's prescribed their ADHD medication has been told this, but a lot unfortunately haven't. So vitamin C can neutralize the effect of some ADHD medications. So some stim stimulants have different physiological processes that aren't affected by vitamin C, Ritalin, which is another common one. But mm. medications that are affected are the amphetamines, which are known by brand names like Adderall, Adderall Extended Release, Vyvanse. Mm -hmm. And they interact with vitamin C, absorbic acid, and these amphetamines amphetamines when they're in the stomach at the same time. So that's where they have this interaction. Vitamin C is an acid. Amphetamines are a base. When they come together, they form a salt compound. So this combination is then rendered indigestible. Again, you need digestion for absorption and cannot be absorbed into the bloodstream. So I really hope that I feel like for some, I remember this changed for some people, if you have, if you're taking your Adderall with say any sort of fruit in the morning, anything rich in vitamin C, that's at the same exact time, that's going to greatly impact the effectiveness of your ADHD medication. Yeah. So it's My friend was taking it with a morning smoothie and she's like, I'm not really feeling when his doctor was trying it out with him. And he's like, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't really feel, and it was a higher dose. I'm like, how do you not feel anything? I'm like, oh, cause you're taking it with your morning smoothie with like berries, spinach, all this kind of stuff in it. 
Yes. Yeah. So that's why it's recommended to not consume the vitamin C roughly one hour before and one hour after taking medication. Mm. So again, always discuss this type of stuff with your doctor. This is not us telling you what to do with your medications, but if this is something you didn't know, definitely bring it up to your doctor and try not to have that vitamin C with your, <laughs> with yeah, your that's, well, that's a good meds. example. Cause that's just one, but I mean, there's so many different people there's on so, so many, many different medications where yeah. they all are going to have something that might play with it and not play yeah. nicely. All right. I have to hop off to go to another meeting. Tony's going to close this one out for you guys. There's just a little bit left and give you some practical tips for enhancing nutrient absorption. And I will see you guys next week. Yes. <laughs> Don't weird. miss me too much. We've never done this before. I'm going to miss you. <laughs> Well, this is not awkward. What's up, guys? Okay, so I am going to wrap up because she had to run on how to actually improve the digestion and absorption of a lot of these nutrients. And I think there's two routes we can go in talking about this, of actually improving your digestion process and then also the sources of where you get these too, especially like supplementally from magnesium is one great example where there's over 10 different kinds. And they're both equally important depending on the route that you're taking. But I think a more important thing I want to cover is actually a quote that Lane Norton, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, posted on his Instagram story the other day that I think is really, really important. And he said, when it comes to what you put your energy into, you can choose to pick up boulders or pebbles. Pebbles are fine to try and pick up, but not if you've got to drop the boulder to grab them. And I think a big thing that Mariana and I were talking about beforehand is, is, well, this really, is this a pebble or is this a boulder when it comes to your overall health or fitness goal? For example, if you're trying to lose weight or gain muscle, any of these things, this is a pebble. This is a very small pebble. Your training intensity and frequency, your calorie intake and macro distribution, your sleep and lifestyle, those are going to be the boulders that if those aren't in place, it doesn't matter what pebbles you're picking up on the side. If you're changing your feeding window or if you're not like with intermittent fasting, if you're tracking your blood sugar spikes or not, right? Those are all such small pebbles where can they be cool and interesting to learn about and provide great data? Yes but they're not boulders. They're not going to move the needle. So I think that's an important thing to, to assess before we go into this is if you have not reached all of your goals yet, I, I don't think this needs a lot of excess energy for you to spend time on. If you're not already executing the other things like consistency with your training or your diet or what have you, if you're not executing those other pieces, I don't think this is worth too much attention in that first. So we'll go over the two different pieces, right? One on how to enhance nutrient absorption through practice and method. But the other thing is also looking at the form of which you are taking them in where food is very, very important. And I know a big supplement that we talk about a lot in this context is magnesium because there's 10 different kinds of magnesium. And when you hear them spoken about a big part of the conversation is how bioavailable they are, how well absorbed each different form is. And different forms of magnesium are going to have different rates of bioavailability what we talked about earlier. Now, the differences come down a lot to what Mariana had spoken about. One big one for magnesium is absorption mechanisms. For example, magnesium oxide, which is like the purest form of magnesium, which you think would be a good thing is actually not right where it requires stomach acid for proper absorption. While other forms like magnesium citrate and glycinate are more readily available or absorbed in the small intestine. So if it passes through the stomach quickly, magnesium oxide is not going to be as usable by your body. It doesn't mean it's not a pure form because it's the purest form. It's not bound by anything else like glycinate is, but it needs stomach acid to be absorbed. Another big one is interactions with different substances. For another example, magnesium oxide can bind with dietary fiber, which reduces its absorption. So that's that binding impact where other forms of magnesium like citrate can actually enhance absorption when you take them with other foods. And a big one that goes into it is GI tolerance, how well you tolerate certain supplements. Magnesium is a big one where oxide can usually have a laxative effect if you take too much, where other forms like lactate might really, really help. Same thing with creatine, monohydrate. That's a big complaint is sometimes people have different levels of GI tolerance where you might not tolerate something as well as the next person. And that's why I was even more excited with Legion coming out with actually, they came out with their brand new form, the sucrosomial magnesium, right? That newest form of magnesium that Legion actually came out with and produced by Legion. But essentially what it is, it's encased in sucrestors or some fatty acids, which increases its bioavailability even higher than the other forms of magnesium, like biglycinate and oxide, which previously biglycinate was the most bioavailable until this past study came out showing that the sucrosomial magnesium actually has a faster, quicker, and higher increase in the body compared to it. 
So that just means like the quality that you take for example, like sucrosomial magnesium is just better assimilated into body tissues than other body. So the quality of what you're actually taking matters a lot. Now there's a few tips that you can do through how you take in the food you eat, different supplements that actually enhance your nutrient absorption. Number one would be paying attention, especially I think to the fat and water soluble vitamins, especially if you're supplementing, especially if it's something like vitamin D right? Where if you have a fat soluble vitamin, pair it with healthy fats, pair it with healthy fats, or it won't be used. So that's the A, D, K, and E vitamins. If you're taking those or they're in a multivitamin, take those with food. Don't just take them on an empty stomach in the morning. So if you do have a multivitamin or anything like that, take it with food, because if you're not, a lot of those vitamins and minerals aren't going to be used. Another one is actually how you cook the food. Okay, so cooking the food actually improves digestion and increases the absorption of many nutrients. And I think a lot of people confuse this because some cooking methods can reduce, and this is a slightly reduce, some key nutrients in a food. So it can slightly reduce some key nutrients in a food by cooking it, but it doesn't get rid of the nutrients, one. And two, it makes it easier for your body to digest. This is another piece of it is actually spending time chewing your food. And I know this seems so trivial, but this is when I learned a long time ago that really helped with even just bloating for myself and just comfort after a big meal. If you can slow down and actually chew your food, that is the first step in your digestion process. If you're just taking a few big bites, if you're inhaling your food, I used to be someone like that. And I know everyone knows someone or might be someone that does that. But if you're just inhaling your food, you're skipping that huge piece where you're breaking down the food to be easily digested later on. So same thing goes with cooking is as you cook it, that's the first step even before it enters your body. The second one would be then spending time chewing your food. Another one that most people don't think about for cooking is the microwave is actually, it's a phenomenal tool to use. Microwaving is a safe way to cook foods while actually preserving most nutrients just due to the shorter cooking times. And I don't actually know if you guys know how the microwave works because for some reason this is one of those things people are afraid of all it's doing is it essentially just shoots little small waves micro waves <laughs> that's where the name came from that really dance with water molecules in the food to essentially make them vibrate at very high intensities and that friction is what heats up the food all it is is vibrating water molecules it's not some poisonous dangerous rays that are heating up your food it's the water molecules inside the food that cause friction in any food that you have, there's water molecules in there. That's why a lot of the times if you have a big plate, like a big glass plate or a big whatever, and you put the food in the middle of the plate, when you take it out, the plate's cold, but the food is hot. It's steaming hot because the plate doesn't have water molecules in it to vibrate. And I think that's a really cool thing that most people don't really understand. Microwaving is one of the best ways from a nutrient perspective to actually prep your food. And what we'll do is we'll go ahead and put a smaller list of other small niche I guess, ways to improve and enhance digestion down below or in a PDF document. I know we're going to send it out to our premium users as well, but I thought that was a sick look into nutrient absorption, which when you hear the words, you're like, who freaking cares? But I thought it was a really interesting topic. I know when she brought it up a few weeks ago, I was really excited to dive into it because there's a lot that goes into it. So I hope you guys enjoy, took away a little bit and maybe learned something today, but if you're in premium, we'll see you this Friday. If not, we'll see you soon. And make sure you freaking, I don't care if you, I don't care if you will use the treadmill, the Peloton treadmill that we're giving away. It's a $3,500 treadmill. Go enter to win. If you don't use the treadmill, sell it. It's 3,500 bucks. Enter. What are you doing? We'll talk to y'all soon.